What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Tabletop for Two podcast. I'm Brad Van Vutt. I'm Emily Van Vutt. We are back. We're going to be talking about campaign-style games later in the show because Em and I have gone through many trials and tribulations <laughs> trying to find <laughs> find ones that, uh, that work for us. We found a lot that don't work for us. We found ones we just can't commit to because we right. have commitment issues with certain types of games. Yep, but we'll uh, yeah. we'll go over all that later in the show. We also have a couple Kickstarters to tell you about as well. We do, um, we do just a couple. Um, but before we uh, before we get to the the meat and potatoes, uh, just a reminder: follow us online if you uh, want to see what we're up to at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you search for at Tabletop for Two, uh, you can find us there. <coughs> Subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play Music, whichever podcatcher you use. Uh, we have a BGG. Guild is number 2623. Definitely hit us up on there as well. Um, we are trying, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm going to say on the show that I'm going to do my damnedest to make sure that we do a live play sometime in April. So okay, look forward to that. Um, I don't know if we're going to use Periscope or YouTube. Um, YouTube might be the more likely scenario. Um, but so we'll let you know. So like I said, just follow us online. Like we said, and if you're interested in that, you'll get the info for that. Um, I'd like to do Crocodile. I think that would be fun. Watch Emily lose. So God, <laughs> now I'm just going to have to practice. Don't you have an inventory this week? No, it's next week. So, all right, well, I'm yeah. going to practice. I'm going to shark you one of these times. And uh, if you, if there's any main topics that you guys would like us to discuss, uh, definitely hit us up and let us know. We'll certainly consider them because we're always looking for content. Because of course we do this for you, the listener. So we uh, we're always curious to hear what you guys would like us to talk. I about. I really just think it's because Brad likes to hear himself talk. No. Yeah. Oh, the, the, is the reason why we do the show? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> well, yes, that's why. That's why I'm the hardest work, working man in podcasting. <laughs> So oh God. I'm not though. My, Mike Micah is the hardest working man in co- uh, my buddy Micah, who uh, co-hosts the Dense Pixels. If you guys listen to that as well, so anyway, let's get down to it. Um, the first game that we're going to be talking about this week is going to be one that we have that we got a couple of weeks ago. We actually got it shortly after we recorded our last episode, and we have been playing this game incessantly <laughs> since we got it. Uh, this is Clank. And uh, the the new deck building game that came out from Renegade Studios a few months back, and we liked it so much that we very quickly, as soon as the expansion became like, available, I think we didn't even have the game a week, and yeah. we bought the expansion, and we got the Sunken Treasures expansion. <clears throat> man, oh man, this is for for such a, I mean, it's so Clank, for those who don't know, Clank is a deck building slash dungeon crawling game. Yeah, um, but for such a simple. It's it's a simple deck builder. Like it's 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 very it's definitely on the the lighter side of medium as far as complexity goes. But man, is it just a tremendous amount of fun! It is. To play. I mean, I it, it as always when we're playing a new game, it takes me a couple turns to get into it. But it mm. had so many familiar feelings from other games that it was a lot. I think it was a lot easier for me to get into. Well, so and this is um this is a deck building game in the. In the whim of like ascension, basically, where right, and that's that's exactly what it reminded me of right. with all of that. So in in the game, um, of course, you start with a with a you know basic set of cards, um, and essentially the cards that you're going to be picking up, aside from the special abilities they do, they're going to be providing you with one of three resources. There are there is skill, which is the currency used to purchase new cards from the card row. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are swords, which you use to defeat monsters, um, and then there is boots, which lets you move around the dungeon because. The thing that is different about this game is that it's also a kind of push your luck sort of if you've ever played Ink and Gold, um, it's this style of game where you are explorers going through a dungeon, um, trying to loot the dungeon and get as much stuff as you, you can. You know what it reminded me of? What's that? Legends of the Hidden Temple. Yeah, I can <laughs> I, I mean aesthetically, yeah, I can certainly see that for sure. Um, so you're trying to delve into this dungeon and find treasures galore. Um, really you're trying to find an artifact and the deeper you dive into the dungeon, the more valuable the artifact will be. And then once you've gotten your, your fill of loot, uh, you're trying to escape because this dungeon is kind of lorded over, but it's, it's guarded by a dragon. And as you loot it, it pisses the dragon off. It does. <laughs> um and so the way the way the the where the game comes like where the mechanism comes into play the push your luck aspect is every time not every time you do something but a lot of things that you do in the game generate 
uh, this resource, this fourth resource is called Clank. And as you generate Clank, you're putting um, cubes of your color onto a designated space on the board. Well, occasionally, as uh, your and at your line of cards that you are uh, that are available for purchase, each time you purchase a card, there's a possibility that the next card that comes out could have the dragon symbol on it. When that happens, all of the Clank cubes in the Clank area go into the bag. And then you have to draw out a certain number of cubes based on where the dragon is on the track. Correct. And if any of your cubes get drawn out of the bag, they basically go on a damage track because it's the dragon doing damage to you. Mm -hmm. And so the more noise you make, the more crazy stuff you do, uh, the more you will draw the dragon's attention and possibly suffer a lot of damage. And as the game progresses along, the dragon will get angrier and you'll have to draw more cubes every time you have to go to the clank bag. So now there are how many in there that are the black dragon cubes? Oh, it's like twenty some odd cubes. Like, so early early in the game, you can get by pretty easily. But once those start, because they because the cubes once they go in the bag, they never leave it unless you draw them out during right. the dragon attack. So. Now there are ways to heal damage. There mm-hmm. are cards that will let you heal a damage here and there, but they are few and far between. Right. So where the where the push your luck aspect comes into play is you have to decide when it's time to break for the exit because if you can't make it out of the depths of the dungeon with an artifact in tow before you lose all of your hit points, then you get zero points and you automatically lose the game. And so you're dead. yeah, so you like I said it's it's you have to kind of Pick and choose when the best time to I died to flee. one room from being out of danger last game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and that's the other cool thing, too, is when one player does escape, um, not only is there an incentive for escaping, you get a 20-point bonus at the end of the game if, when but you escape. But then there's a timer. Yeah, it basically starts a countdown timer where the dragon gets, like, super aggressive, and each other player only has up to four more rounds to escape the dungeon. And every time, as the other player that's already escaped moves along this track, mm-hmm. they get to draw one extra dragon cube and yeah, the then dragon two just extra starts dragon slashing cubes out, and lashing yeah, out like crazy, so forth and so on. So, and it's just like I said, it's 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 just a really fun game. Um, it only takes about an hour to play. It, like I said, it's it's pretty much. In that Ascension realm, um, oh, the, it has an app too. Yeah, there's there's a cool companion app that goes along with it, where it essentially adds like random events that can happen based on certain triggers mm-hmm. in the game, which is cool, and it does scorekeeping for you, mm-hmm. um, which is a really which cool is awesome deal. because I think the first time we did the scorekeeping ourselves, and it was just a little nutso. Well, because there's a lot of stuff to add because you add you know cards, you know certain cards you acquire are worth points, the treasures are worth points, artifacts are worth points. You get these secret tokens, and sometimes they're worth points as well. Um, but yeah, it's just a tremendous amount of fun. I really like the the push your luck aspect to the whole thing um, of, of you know <laughs> kind of well, especially in a two player game because with a two player game. It's a lot easier no, every to... every time you say that, you know what I think of. What's that? No whammy, no oh, whammy, yeah. no whammy. <laughs> Press your luck. Um, the, th- the thing with two-player games is that you have, like, you have a, a much better sense of what your opponent has gotten. Now, you still can't remember exactly, like, what cards they've acquired that are worth points and stuff like that, but you can see, like, the artifact that they've gotten. You can see a lot of the treasures they picked up. So you kind of know, all right, maybe I have to... Chance it a little bit more lingering down here, trying to get a couple more um, like treasure tokens, stuff like that, that I can get before kind of hitting the exit. And also being the first player out of the dungeon in a two player game is hugely incentifying as well. Now, that being said, the first two games we played, I was kind of like, get in, get out, Mm -hmm. you know, do my thing. So the last game we played, I kind of went a little further than I had the uh, the previous games and mm-hmm. I ended up dying like like I said one room away if I had one more boot in my in my hand I would have been okay mm-hmm. and I would have had a chance to escape but yeah and and, and it's yeah. it's great because the the um the base game comes with a board that's double sided so there's two different maps so that you can have some variety in the play and then the sunken treasures expansion adds a whole bunch of new cards to the mix and it adds a whole new Game map as well, which and, also is double sided. Which Brad broke. Well, apparently, <laughs> apparently the first print of the expansion has like a defect with the game board, um, which I snapped one of the one of the uh, I was, quarters off of it. I, I had my back to him. I was at the kitchen sink, and I hear this, <laughs> and I was like, "Turn around!" The look on his face <laughs> was priceless. Well, they're, but they're they're Renegades replacing it for free, so I'm not I'm not too you're, freaked the, out no, about the, it. The look on your face was you're just like. You look like a kid who got caught with his hand in the cookie jar or something. I'm like, 
<laughs> and uh, and the Sunken Treasure expansion, as the name suggests, adds an underwater mechanic where you might take damage exploring certain certain caverns if you can't come up for air. Yep. Essentially. So again, cool. uh, Clank, Clank is such a fun game. Um, if you, uh, like I said, I don't think we've bought an expansion faster for a game. No, because like I said, we we've played this like literally four times in the past two weeks. Like it's been that fun. And for me, and I told him this after we played it the first couple times, I think I really feel like that this game has completely replaced Ascension for me in terms of um, that style of deck building game, that complexity deck building game. Makes me sad. It makes me a little sad, too, because Ascension is something that holds, you know, sentimental value for us because it was the first game that we really got into. Mm -hmm. And when we started playing, you know, the deeper like, you know, the hobby games. So, yeah, that does definitely make me sad, and we definitely have invested heavily into that series. But it's, like, what Clank... Clank takes that that style of deck builder, that, like, kind of light style deck building game, and adds these other elements that I think make it infinitely so more replayable. maybe we just keep our absolute favorites? Possibly, then? yeah. And the promo stuff that we bought, and just be done with it. Yeah, because it's, um... It, yeah, Clank is just really good. Like I said, I wasn't... I was I'd heard it was good. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. Um it's it's just a really clever I game. I didn't know what to think cuz I hear Clank and I think of Ratchet and Clank. Right. <laughs> just just a really clever game. It, I guess the only criticism that I have is it's not easy to directly affect your opponent, which in a game like this might make sense in a lot of ways, but there's ways you can do it subtly. Like you can like if you know you're getting close to the exit and and your opponent is still kind of deeper down, you can start buying a ton of cards out of the middle row so that more cards get drawn back into the middle row at the end of your turn, and it increases the chance that the dragon, you know, that the dragon attacks will happen, because as you get closer to safety, you're not going to care as much, um, you know, as whether you know your cubes are in the bag or not, but it's more chances for your opponent to get hit as they're going through. So, I mean, you can kind of inversely affect them that way as well. Um, but, th- yeah, that's really the only, it's not even a critique, just something I'm might be interesting to see maybe in like a future expansion because by all accounts I think this game's been wildly successful and uh, and probably has a bright future mm-hmm. ahead of it. So that is Clank um, and Clank Sunken Treasures, excellent deck building game, highly recommend and something that we'll be getting to the table a lot more frequently. I would imagine oh, in definitely. the future. Here. Um, next on the list was this a Kickstarter? Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. Um, is Fugitive? Yeah, this is the new game from Tim Fowers. It is a um. Follow-up, lo- loosely themed from Burgle Bros, which is a game that we like, but it doesn't play anything like Burgle Bros. No. Um, what's interesting, it's a two-player deduction game um, that only takes about 20 minutes to play, if that, honestly, because you can get it done in a lot quicker. Which we actually just played on the couch the other day, too. Mm-hmm. And and it's a two-player game. So there, that tells you how much space it takes up. Right. Um, it's specifically a two-player game. One player is a fugitive that's on the run, uh, the other player, other players, the marshal, trying to chase them down, and the fugitive um, starts off. There, there's a deck of cards numbered from zero to forty-two, and the fugitive's aim is to play the number forty-two card to the table, which will allow him to escape uh, from the marshal. Meanwhile, he's laying uh, cards down on the table that are different hideouts that he's moving to. And the marshal and the, those tables, those cards are being laid face down. The marshal is trying to guess which cards the fugitive is laying down because if the marshal can flip over all of the fugitive's hideouts and discover them all, then they will catch the fugitive um, as they go. So every turn, um, the fugitive is going to draw a card. And from one of three decks, because the decks are broken up into the different scales of numbers, like you've one deck that runs from fourteen to four, four to four. I can't talk. What four to fourteen? I'm sorry, I'm distracted because every time you say the fugitive, I just think Harrison Ford. Right. Well, that's what they're, that's what they're going for. That's what they're going for. It's like you know, one deck has the has cards numbers four to fourteen. The second deck has like fifteen to twenty eight, and the third deck has the other cards in it. So the fugitive is going to draw a card from one of those decks, and then they're going to play a card face down on the table. Now the catch is is that the card they play has to be within three numbers of the previous hideout card that they put face down. Mm-hmm. The only way to to get around that rule is to play other cards out of your hand along with this hideout because the other cards in your hand have these little footprint symbols on them as well. And if you play them as footprints, basically that lets you extend the distance 
from the previous number um, by one for every footprint that's on the card. Mm-hmm. And then the marshal is also going to draw a card. Then the reason the marshal wants to draw a card is because that lets that lets her eliminate numbers off of the off of her little notepad that she has with all the numbers that she can eliminate as being on the table. She being me. Well, she. I mean, the marshal on the art is also a woman. Is so. it? Yeah. I, I don't didn't know even if you look. No, I didn't. I didn't even look. And then the marshal's going to try to guess one or more of the hideouts that the fugitive has laid down on the table now, if, if so, she, then why did you call me Tommy Lee Jones when I was playing the marshal? Well, if it's a he's girl, because he, he is the marshal. Now, if the marshal guesses a hideout correctly, the fugitive has to flip the hideout over and reveal it to them. The marshal can also guess multiple hideouts, but the trick with that is that the marshal has to guess correctly with every hideout that they name. Otherwise, the fugitive doesn't have to flip over any of the cards, even if some of them were correct. So that's like a last-ditch effort that the marshal can use to, if they're reasonably certain about multiple ones, that mm-hmm. they can help catch up to the fugitive uh, with that one. So we both played uh, each side of this, mm-hmm. and we found out it is hard as crap to be the fugitive. It really is, because especially <laughs> with the card draw aspect, like if you just happen to draw numbers that are far spaced out gets very difficult because you have to start throwing down those cards and i can tell you when i was the fugitive Mm -hmm. like i was not getting card draw because not all of the cards have footprints on them Mm -hmm. well no i think they all have they all have at least one some of them have two i don't think think they all have at least one i'm pretty sure except for the one two and three i don't think do but i just felt like i couldn't get card draws even even to mitigate with the footsteps, I couldn't get cards within a range mm-hmm. to actually put them out. So I think that did not help my case. Right. And the fugitive you know? the fugitive cannot play a hideout on their turn if they don't want to, just to help build up cards in their hand. And but I was, that and I was trying to do that, to, but then yeah. I just I'm like, okay, I gotta try and do something. But of course, all my movements were obvious because I didn't have right. you know. Well and that and that's also the tricky part with the with the footprint cards is that if when you put the footprint cards, if the marshal discovers that hideout, they also get to see the number on all of the cards that you laid down for the footprints. So they can, that gives them a lot more cards mm-hmm. that they can mark off the list, which can be that's what helped very, me get you yeah. that last time. Yeah, like I said, I, I also found it a lot more difficult to play as the fugitive character than the marshal in this one. Um, now the the game also does include a deck of event cards that you can layer into the game um, in different ways, which we have not experimented with yet. We've just played the base game so far. I like this game, though. This is a fun filler, and it's difficult sometimes to do deduction with two players because it's it's hard to have a game where, you know, it, deductions work better with three or more because you can have multiple people well, like, with information. What, what was the one we tried with two? Um, the space game. Uh, oh, the um, uh, uh, Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space? Yes, yes. yes. And I mean that's a deduction game, mm-hmm. and we tried it with the two player the map they suggest for two players, and it's just it doesn't really work with. Doesn't two. have it's, the same better, feel, yeah. It's better because I think we played it with four, and mm-hmm. it was much much more of a a game than with two because with two I just felt yeah. Well, like, that, I mean that that one's yeah that one's a, a hidden movement game, but it's certainly deduction elements in that for sure. But yeah, I thought this one being designed ground up for two players um, is very effective. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how the event cards, and I'm look. I actually want to play it more because I want to get good playing with the fugitive because I feel like that there is a strategy that you can oh unfurl Lord. with that one. I to, just heard your inner Barney Stinson say, "Challenge accepted." Well, it's 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 a fun <laughs> game, and like I said, it's it's a it's something you can play multiple times in in half an hour if you want to. And just reset and go. So that's a fugitive um, by Tim Fowers. Uh, not the last you'll be hearing of him. On this podcast, because we'll be talking about another one of his games a little <laughs> later on in the show. Shocker! Well, all right. Um, the, the next thing we're going to be talking about here is a game that I've had my eye on for a while um, that we got in a math trade a little while back. This is Lagranha. We actually talked about Lagranha Light a few weeks back. Yeah, we talked about Lagranha No Siesta. Um, <laughs> this is the actual the big boy version, uh, the not the not uh, roll and write version of of Lagranha. This is the main one. This is sort of a resource um, conversion game, I guess you can say, where you are you are running this um, what like a farm, I guess, give or take, kind of sorta, and you're trying to you're trying to get resources and either deliver those resources to certain people to do things or convert them into better resources. With with the intent of delivering them either to a market stall 
or to these like craft buildings that are on this central board um, that are in the game. And it's it's kind of, it's I guess it's got some set collection elements to it as well because you're trying to make sets with the different resources based on right. the the interesting thing about the game is that you ha- each player has a personal player mat essentially. And there are cards in the game that are multi-use cards. Each card can be used as either an extension. I love multi-use cards. Oh, I do too. It's one of my favorite all-time mechanics. Um, but each card, when you when you play it, and you're going to play one, at least one card per round, um, can either be used to extend your fields to harvest um, more vegetables. They can be used to extend your farm so that you can hold more pigs or maybe earn more income each round. They can be used as a worker, um, which the, each worker gives you like a special ability of some kind, or they can be used as a market stall, which is a small order that you're trying to fulfill um, that gets you points and bonuses and stuff like that. And and that's essentially the game. Is um, the, other, the other thing this has, and No Siesta has this as well, of course, is the, a dice drafting mechanic. Each round, um, a number of dice is going to be rolled, and depending on which number is rolled, each number corresponds to a specific action uh, that can be taken, and the players are going to take turns drafting those dice and taking the actions associated with those dice. And this goes through six rounds. Um, eventually, like I said, you're trying to get the goods, ma- manufacture them, deliver them. There's a variety of different ways to score points. This is a very like midweight Euro game. Kind of, it's kind of in the style of like a Feld game, I guess, but without the point salad point salidiness. Of it because they're not raining points. It's actually quite hard to. It can be quite hard to score points right. in some aspects. And after six rounds, you're going to total up your victory points. Whoever has the most points is going to be the winner. Now, I I think I like this a little bit more than you did. Yeah. What didn't What didn't you care for with it? So I think I said this to you, <laughs> mm-hmm. but <laughs> it's very strange. I felt uh, I didn't feel like I was restricted enough. You felt like you could do too much? Yes. Interesting, because I felt kind of the opposite. Like, well, I, I looked at my board, and I looked at, like, the, the central board where we're trying to get things mm-hmm. done and everything, and I'm just, I felt like I could do everything that I wanted to and That's, accomplish what I wanted to, and I didn't have any problems doing so. Interesting. I I found it somewhat restrictive. Maybe because I just had a better engine. I don't know. Maybe. That's that's also possible. Did you win? I can't remember. I did. Okay, you did win. Um. Yeah, I actually found it a little bit more restricting because you're kind of, with the actions, you're kind of at the mercy of the dice that get rolled each round. And, like, so if you are if you need, I don't know, silver like I said, really badly. I, I guess I just drafted my cards right I suppose at so. first because I just, I did not feel the pressure to have to get, I need this item, I need this. I was, mm-hmm. I was easily able to get whatever I needed. Right. I don't know, I guess, um... I, I liked it a lot better than I liked No Siesta. I guess you oh, could say. Oh, yeah. Because, like, No Siesta, yeah, I did feel like you well, could do everything that you wanted God, to do. God, No Siesta. No problem. Then nobody wanted to take a siesta in our game, so we couldn't get no hats. Right. It's fair. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I felt this was interesting. Um, it doesn't... I don't think it stands out among the other, like, strategy games that are kind of in this weight class for us, if that makes sense. Like, I'd rather play a Castles of Burgundy... Over this, I'd rather play. No, uh, we haven't played that in a while. It's, it hasn't been that long since we played it. Um, I'd rather play a. I'm trying to think of another example, like a Deus over this, or like a. This is a little bit heavier, but like a Marco Polo, I would certainly rather play over Marco this. Marco Polo is a good one. Yeah, so like, and Marco Marco Polo is a little heavier than Lagrange is, but if I'm playing, <laughs> that's also hard to get points in. If I'm playing a game where that that the dice mechanic is central to it like those are like Castles Burgundy and and Marco Polo specifically are two that I would reach for before reaching for for Lagranja for sure but I still liked it I thought it was a good game I'll um, go for Quantum huh I'll go for it's Quantum it's not a Euro game no but it's got my dice <laughs> yeah but that's not the same that doesn't scratch the same <laughs> the same itch at all um but yeah I thought Lagranja was good I don't think we're going to keep it because I don't think it's going to get well. Especially if Em didn't like it, we're definitely not going to keep it. But I don't think even if we did, I don't think it would Jeez, get played. Hon. No, no, no. I, I'm just saying I don't think it would get played all that frequently. Regardless, it's an interesting game. I I like the the resource conversion aspect and also the the very limited um, means to do stuff like money's tight in this game, that sort of thing. I I appreciated those aspects. Um, but yeah, Lagrange is one that I guess is not going to stick around 
for us. Um, but definitely check it out. It might be something. That, I thought for two players it worked fine, though. Like, I think oh, from did, scaling yeah. aspect. Like, it, that was perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. Um, next on the list is another math trade acquisition, and that's Pitch Car. Which yeah. I've heard this guy across me talking about for like two months now. Yeah, it's it's something I've wanted to to get my hands on. Um, that's something we're gonna talk about for a while because the game is so stinking simple. It's not it's not even funny. Okay, if it's so simple, how come you can't win? Uh, because <laughs> you, I guess, are better at dexterity games that aren't crocodile than me <laughs> from some aspects. So, yeah, um, um pitch I, car. Well, one little thing though, I'm really mm. glad that we got this after we got our game table because those things would have been oh, flying, yeah, been flying all, all over the place. Absolutely, <laughs> and then the cat would have got them. Yeah, pitch, pitch car is a is a dexterity racing game. It comes with these very cool woodblock tracks that you can puzzle piece together and create all sorts of different track shapes. Um, and each player has a little wooden disc with a picture of a race car on it. And the game is pretty simple. You're trying, you're taking turns trying to flick your way around the racetrack that you have built and based on the track you build it could be very challenging in sections to do that um you know making a good flick where you can cover many pieces of track at once is essential but the key is you have to keep your car on the board because if you flick off the board or if you flick your opponent off the board it's also not a game where you can collide with your opponents very readily then you have to go well, back to I where mean, you were thematically it makes sense because mm-hmm. you know you collide with another car for sure done. so uh and and you pl- can play any number of laps that you want yeah pitch car is just a cool game um it's a game that i'm not going to tell anyone listening to this to run out and buy because it's like ridiculously expensive in places um for what you it can is especially. Get it from was it 30 games mm-hmm they have it on their website. It's I forget how many. It's in pounds. You'd have to do the conversion. The exchange rate. Yeah, it's yeah. one that's harder to find in the U.S. Though I know, and um, there's tons of expansions for it. We might pick up a couple. I want the one I saw that has like the ramp looking thing. Yeah, that now looks here, cool. Now here's a question though. I mean, since since you know this is our show, um, what do you think if if you're just going to play it with two players, do you think it'd be worth picking up for you personally, mm. like exclusively? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, th- I think it's. I'm glad we have it um, because I think that. I it's think it'll be more son, fun if we have some of our friends over one night. I think they'd have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I think I think having more cars on the track is good. Um, I think having that competition is good. Two players, it just becomes you know who can flick more efficiently. Essentially, that's kind of the name of the game. And and of course, speaking, beat me every single time. Speaking of flicking efficiently, mm. I want to play catacombs. I'd love to play catacombs again as well. Sorry, didn't mean to like stray, but That's yeah, okay. we're talking dexterity. Mama wants to play some catacombs. Yeah, but pitch, like I said, pitch car is a cool game. Um, if you can find one for a fair price, definitely worth picking up. But I wouldn't say if you're gonna just play two players primarily, it's probably not the best. Uh, nah. the best one to get for sure. There, there are other better dexterity games that you can get for uh, for those lower player counts. Caveman curling. <laughs> I had fun yeah. with that. <laughs> or yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, which probably might not get played again because crocodile is too freaking fun so no stop we'll see i will play anything that says curling it's fair enough um lastly for our impressions this week uh is our first play of at the gates of loyang this is the the uve rosenberg the la- the third game in the quote-unquote harvest trilogy um that he made which we've played lahav one of our all-time favorites and we've not played agricola but we have played caverna which is essentially the same game for all intents and purposes um, but yeah, we've, we played the game. Swing. Now I got to tell you, um, we picked up the new version from TMG and when I opened the box, I was not expecting the amount of air. There was a that lot came of air in, the box. in that box <laughs> because from a component aspect, this game's actually pretty light. There's lots of wood tokens to, to represent the different vegetables that are in the game of which there are six different types. And each player has the, this T shaped player board, um, that they have. And there's a couple decks of cards, and that's about it. And then I read the rules, and I was like, man, this game seems really stinking simple for this game that I'm hearing is like this medium to medium heavy, or to like even heavy in some people's uh, opinion, resource management game from Uwe Rosenberg, who is a guy who is known for having more heavy resource management games, essentially. So, but I, so I went in like, man, this will be pretty, seems like this will be the easiest Rosenberg game of this style that we've played. And then that game, and then at the Gaze of Loyang, smacked us both directly in the face with its with its evolving complexity as and you go through the game. Uh, you thought it was cutthroaty? I didn't think it was too cutthroaty. 
um, them damn demanding ass customers, yeah. Oh, but let's see, that's not cutthroat with each other. That's just the game. I'm saying you. the game getting cutthroat with me. Not not saying between the two of us. I mean, there are some cards that you can that you can use to mess with your opponent. Mm-hmm. Not too many, but and not I too mean, and not too cruelly and they're, either. Yeah, they're not too mean yeah. either. Like, um, I think the one I had was to swap a market stall, one of mine with one of yours, mm-hmm. and um, didn't you use one to steal something from me? Something like that. Now, that, but that being said, this is a this is a fairly like even though there's not like a lot of screwage, this is a pretty high interaction game. Just the way that things kind of unfold. I got all excited because I got a coupon card because I'm a couponer, have been for a long, long time, and I was like, oh, "This card is a coupon card." He's like, "Jesus Christ!" <laughs> so the way the way the game unfolds, it, it takes place over nine rounds. Each round, um, you're gonna start by harvesting vegetables from your different fields um, because you can you have each player has their own personal fields that they can sow vegetables in and each round you'll harvest from there and then you could also get a free field but you gotta watch because certain fields only are allowed to have certain vegetables in them right the vegetables are on like a scale uh, like a great like a from from worst to best i guess from a financial standpoint and like i'm said like the the bigger fields can't hold the better vegetables but the smaller ones can so you have to kind of balance that out now the the meat of the game comes in the in the card drafting so each round you're going to take a deck a deck of cards. There's four types of cards in this deck. Or actually, five types, rather. There's some cards that have some extra fields that you can purchase and, and put it in the mix if you want more fields. There are helper cards, which are one-shot cards that have like special bonus abilities that you can use. There's market stand cards, which are cards that you lay out with certain goods on them. And you can trade your goods to get the goods off the market cards. So like, if you can't plant like sprouts in a field, then you can potentially get a market stand that has them and trade the the person who runs it to get those sprouts from him. Mm-hmm. But the other, the, the, the cards that kind of drive the game are the customer cards. And there's two types of customers. There are casual customers who will hang out until you are able to serve them and they will pay you a, a pretty nominal sum of money for a one shot so deal. Pay you through the nose, right? But and then, but then there's regular customers, and regular customers are the people that frequent your stand every round and expect to be catered to. Otherwise, they might get mad, and if they get really mad, then they might start dinging you for cash penalties. And money is is the the grease that makes the the mill run in this game, and it can be very very tight if you're not careful. It, no, it can be very tight if you're not Emily. Yeah, that too. That too. So each round, and the way the drafting works is clever because each player is going to get dealt four cards, and each round you're gonna you have a choice to make. You can either put a card in the center of the table, which makes it publicly available for everybody, or once per round you're going to eventually have to take play one card out of your hand and take one card that's been laid out in the center of the table, and those are the two cards that you draft for that round. So you have to kind of make the best you can with the cards that become available to you. And that's where the interaction comes into play because the card that another player dumps on the table might actually really benefit you mm-hmm. and and might be something you're looking for. So you kind of play this waiting game with the other players. Or where, you just give them a, you know, screw you and hmm. say, oh, no, I'm good with this card and this card, and here you go. Right, now, and then they have to, they like in a two-player game, like once one player has chosen their stuff, like the next player has to choose their stuff as well in the very next round. So you don't get a lot of time to look. And then once you have gotten your two cards, each player then can perform kind of any number of actions that they want to that round, which might be sowing more fields. It might be, you know, fulfilling your customers, might be, you know, getting you, you know, trading with the market stands, using your helpers, basically using all the stuff that's available to you. And then finally, at the end of each round, you can you get to buy your victory points. And this is where another really clever aspect of this game comes into play. Because when it's time for victory points, victory points cost money. The first victory point you buy every round, no matter which victory point it is, always costs one dollar. And then every subsequent victory point in that round costs the face, face value. value of the victory point space. So if it's round, so if I'm on the if I'm on the three spot on my board. And I want to move up to the six spot. It's going to cost me one dollars to move to four, and then it's going to cost me eleven to move to five, and then move to six because I have to pay the face value. So, if you have a lot of money, you can jump several points mm-hmm. in one round, but that might hamstring you for the following round. 
But likewise, as you get further up the points track, it can become very difficult to move up multiple spaces. If you're not Emily. In each shot. But that's where kind of the engine building aspect comes into play because you kind of need to lay out your fields and harvest goods in such a way that will let you perform the stuff that you have to perform um, each round. This this game really kind of blew my mind as far as like how <laughs> no as far as just like how like how it like how the game kind of unlocked because in the first two rounds you don't really do a whole lot but by the time you get to like round seven and eight you're doing a whole like you have this whole like plan laid out for your turn because since other players can't hamstring you that much like you can kind of execute the plan that you're working on but it's really tough to get that um, especially in the later rounds again tough to get that amount of money to move up on that points track in a in a very sufficient matter I didn't have any problems. Well, I mean, you I was ahead of you for most of the game until the very end. Yeah, but I was focusing on building up my engine and I got all kind of monies and then I could move mm-hmm. up quickly. Yeah, and, and like I said, you, I knew you were and really of course, getting into this. And of course you could you can always take loans as as per usual in these games. This one, I'm sitting there and I'm counting my money to see how many spaces I can move up. He's like your ability to not take loans still baffles me. I'm like, sorry. Well, I only took one loan in the game too, for that for that matter. But it was enough to to make force me to because lo- loans are really crippling in this game because they at the end of the game for each one you have you have to move back one space on the points track. And this is not a game where points are overflowing. Like we both finished. It's a twenty with, point track. That's right, it. and you're probably not going to get higher than twenty in most games. I I would imagine. So like I got up to 16, he got up to 17, but because of that loan, we tied. Yeah. As per usual with Brad and Emily. Yes. But we I mean, but this is a game where you're going to tie because the points track is so right. is so narrow. What uh what were your favorite aspects about this? I know that you were having a good time <laughs> playing this one. I like the helpers. Mm-hmm. Like the helper cards, some of them were really fun. And I'm sorry, the names some of the names on them. I think the one said like Market Woman or mm. something like that. And I don't know why. It just struck me funny. Yeah. And I couldn't stop laughing about it. But um, no, like the helpers were really cool because they could um, like, like the one round I needed. I needed something. And you had it on one of your market cards. And mm. I had to I think because it was in round eight, I had to pay you a dollar. But a dollar was worth it to get what I needed to fulfill. And I think I got like 14 off of that mm. off of that deal. So, yeah. Yeah. I kind of like that. It's it's, it's a clever stuff. game, and like I said, it's it's one that was out of print for a really long time, and therefore went for much higher cost than it should have. But now that this reprint's available from TMG, it's well worth seeking out, especially if you are like generally a fan of these resource. I was very excited to find games. this. It's fun, man. It's like I said, I wasn't expecting it to be nearly as deep as it was, and and it was a pleasant surprise in that regard. But still quicker than like a Lahav. Or a caverna would be like this game. We I think we first play. It took ninety minutes, and I was surprised it took that long. We right. could probably get it down to like seventy five. Well, once that's we know. because someone who shall not be named across from me, you know, sat there going, "I don't know what to do." <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm sitting here. I've got my whole turn planned out. I'm like tapping my toes, like, "All right, are you done mm. yet? Are you done yet?" So yeah, at the gates of Loyang, um, definitely a very cool, like, like medium heavy heavyweight style game. It's it, it was a good time. I it liked was. it a lot. Good time. So we're gonna take a quick break. We'll come back. Um, couple kickstars we want to highlight, and then we're gonna hop into campaign games shortly after that. So the first the first Kickstarter game that I wanted to talk about this week this is uh this is from Tim Fowers um it is the it is the prequel to to one of our favorite Hardy deck building har, har. yes is you the, know what hmm. stop because you're not allowed to make corny. no it literally no. look it literally says that on the Kickstarter I I did not pull that myself it literally says that. I hate you. So this is the prequel uh, to Paperback, one of our favorite deck building games and probably our favorite word game mm-hmm. um, that Tim Fowers did. And, and this is out Quiddler because we used to love Quiddler yeah. back in the day. But this is hardback. Um, this is this is a another um, another deck building style game, but it play it's it plays very differently from. From paperback, essentially. So in paperback, it's more of a traditional like Dominion style deck building game where you're trying to acquire cards that let it's you make like words. Scrabble. Right, but but with the with the intention of buying victory point cards that you know right. later in the game. In this one, um, 
there like like there's a lot of wild cards in paperback. Hardback doesn't have any wild cards, but you have a lot more variety with like your starting hand, and you can make any card a wild card as well. That's in your hand as well if you want to, which is very cool. And essentially, instead of buying cards that you purchase victory that have victory points on them, mm-hmm. in this one you actually score victory points every time. Like there's certain cards that get you victory points every time you play them, essentially. And there's also like stop a, saying essentially. I'm sorry. Well, I, I tend to a lot <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, and then this one also doesn't have a mechanic where cards let you draw extra cards. Apparently, there is an ink mechanic, which is like a pressure luck style thing, um, which lets you potentially get more cards later on, but then you might not be able to spell certain words later if you if you go too far. It looks interesting. Um, and Tim Fowers is one of those guys who kind of is at auto back status with us uh, at this I was point. Say, I thought you already backed it. Oh, I absolutely did. Yeah. I just I just I, I think it should be really cool. I just remember you're like, so there's this thing on Kickstarter called hardback. Mm. And for whatever reason I'm thinking of like cheesy action movie because I hear hardback and I, I don't know I hard target and stuff like that popped in my head. I don't know why. Weird. Yeah. Don't ask. Yeah, but like I said, paper paperback is one of our absolute favorite deck building games. And if this is half as good, then I'm sure it'll be excellent. So you can check that out. I just hope he keeps with the uh, the box theme where you can stand it up and it looks like books. I believe he did. I think there's a picture of the the box on the see on the campaign here, page. Let me let me clue the audience in. See, Brad doesn't really you know show me these things. He just tells yeah, me see, about look, them. There you go. This is great radio. As I'm showing you the picture of this ah, thing, but perfect. There you go. Um, as it, we're recording it's, this, it's even like old timey books too. I love it. As we're recording this, uh, the campaign is about two weeks left. You can get a copy of it for just 27 bucks. Well worth it, in my estimation. What? Uh, what? I'm sorry. I'm. We have this game. I know, but I want it, but we love it so much that I have to let people know that it's back on Kickstarter because we talked about it a couple weeks oh, ago. Oh, good lord. A couple weeks ago. The, we, we spoke about Gloomhaven um, a couple shows ago and how much we're enjoying that, and we're going to talk about Gloomhaven a little bit more in the next segment. Sorry, in case you guys didn't know, I didn't look at the docket before we started recording. So. <laughs> and uh, and we mentioned that the reprint for, for Gloomhaven would be hitting up Kickstarter uh, shortly a couple of episodes ago. Well, guess what? It's on Kickstarter right now. And if, if this game sounds interesting to you, if you didn't hear us talk about it, um, go back a couple episodes and listen to us talking about it. It's a really cool dungeon crawl game with some really neat mechanics and a game that we, we will be are playing probably when we're playing. Done. <laughs> well, we're going to be playing when we're recording, but I'm saying in general, like we will probably be playing this game for years um, because there's that much content in the box and that much to do. It is a giant freaking box. Too. Yeah, it's 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 one of the best values that I've ever seen in gaming. It's like a diaper box, right? Like. Like a economy size diaper box size. That's like yeah. And you can and you can pick it up through the Kickstarter campaign for ninety nine bucks, which is a really great price for the amount of content that comes that comes in this game. So why are we backing this? Uh, well, we're backing this because if you happen to already own the game, um, there's also a pledge level, uh, which gets you some of the new content that they're adding to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, they've revised the hit point and experience point trackers to be oh, much better. good, because I don't like them at all. Yeah, the ones that come with the base game are not the best. Um, there's also a revised rule book that you can buy that the end scenario book, which I believe the Isaac Childress who designed the game said he'll make available for free through PDF um, if you didn't want to, but if you actually want a printed version you can get it through the campaign, and there's also a. So, uh, he made an, Isaac made a number of solo scenarios, and well, all you have to do with that, if you get the PDF, just send it to me at work, and hmm. I can get a couple of little brads. Well, I'd and, like a nice, I'd like a nice printed one. It's fine, but but you can get all of these things for twenty five bucks total, oh, which is okay. a pretty good deal. Never mind, save me the work. <laughs> yeah, and that's and then that's fine. So if you already have the game, there's some stuff in here for you. If you don't have the game, again, highly recommend it. Of course, the new version of the game will come with all the updated stuff for free anyway. You don't have to buy it separately. And uh, it's a really good game and and well worth the the money for that. So this week's uh, main topic was actually suggested by our buddy Justin, a listener. So thank you, Justin, for that. And he asked us to talk about 
camp games with like a campaign elements for two players especially because normally a lot of games that have campaign elements are designed to be played with a bigger group even if they do scale down and we've definitely played our fair share yes definitely so i feel like that we can offer a pretty this good this is how we figured out we have commitment issues <laughs> mm-hmm, with certain <laughs> games for sure so let's start by defining what we're talking about here because i know you and i down before we came up um started to talk a little bit about certain games whether they should be considered or not and f- so for me personally I don't think that they should. The ones we were talking oh, about. I would agree with you. I don't think that they should, but they have elements that they, are they similar do. to this. But well, so, eh. so for example, like there's a lot of games that have that are scenario based, where you play. Let's go with our favorite, Arcadia Quest. Mm-hmm. Okay, you clearly like right now we're doing the Beyond the Grave expansion campaign. Mm-hmm. You have scenarios that you have to do each time you play. Until you get to the very end, and then it's time for the big boss and everything else. Mm -hmm. And the end scenario. I mean, that's the perfect example. You're going through one scenario at a time until you get to, you know, the payoff, basically. Right. And I, yeah, I I think for it to be considered like a campaign game, there has to be some, at least some semblance of narrative and at least some semblance of progression. Like the games that we considered but didn't really throw into this mix, um, like Zombicide. The others, um, those are games that are scenario driven, but there's no there's no carryover from game to game. Like every time you you play a new game of them, oh, claustrophobia. You're, yeah, you're I didn't you're, even think you're about starting that, fresh. Yeah. Claustrophobia is one too, um, where they it's scenario driven, but there's no narrative, there's no progression through the through the game. It's just a one off, right? It's just a one off every single time. Um, Mechs versus Minions is one that's kind of on the borderline. That one's more. That that one's in like the legacy camp, but it's not really a campaign, if that makes sense, because the scenarios can all be played one off. Mm-hmm. But if you do them in sequence, there is like a kind of progression, but it's not I still don't consider it to be mm-hmm. like a big campaign personally. That's just not how I see it. That's that's probably the one that I that I waffled on the most. Mm-hmm. Um I think also like RPG elements are not required necessarily, but I think that they definitely you find them in these games more frequently. So whether that's characters gaining new skills over leveling the course up. of the game, leveling up new equipment, things of that nature, those you usually you usually find those in campaign games as well as you go through. Um, I don't necessarily say you need all of those things to tick these boxes, but I think you'll you'll find them in the majority of them for sure. Yeah. So I mean, you have to have there. There are certain ones that you you have to have. Yeah. The rest, uh, you know. Yeah, like, I do. I do think the progressive narrative is is one of those things that that, uh, that well, is kind of necessary. <laughs> so I don't th- think it would really be a campaign if it wasn't right. So there's a couple different styles of games that that you find these in. Um, easily the most prevalent style are like these dungeon crawl style games, and there's a lot of examples. Of those style of games um, that you and I have messed around with, for sure. You mentioned Arcadia Quest already. Um, that's probably one that's... That's our favorite one. Probably our favorite. Um, of course, there's the Descent system of games, which is Descent and Star Wars Imperial Assault, which are essentially the same game. Right, and we played Descent, and we actually... That was the first one we played. It was definitely one of the first ones and we then, played. And then... And we played it for a while, mm. and then we got rid of it because we got Star Wars Descent for all, you know. Yes. And well, save 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 your thoughts on this on the game itself for a little bit later because we're gonna break down. No, but I'm saying. What's, what, what but then, like, we got that because we're like, well, this has a better theme. This has a theme that right. we're more into because we both love Star Wars. Mm, um, you know, the the aforementioned Gloomhaven definitely fits this bill for sure. Um, and then uh, another one that we played very long time ago uh, was Level 7 Omega Protocol. I didn't like that one. Well, we'll talk. Like I said, we'll get to that shortly. Um, so, that, so, like I said, Dungeon Crawl is probably, and there's a lot more than just the ones that we mentioned here, um, but those are definitely the most prevalent one. What else? Can I, like Mice vs. Mystics is one that, um, well, that comes we're, to mind. we're doing this based off ones we've actually right. played, so, I mean, I think they can understand that. No. Now, we talked about legacy style games, um, and certainly Gloomhaven has some legacy elements in it. Um, I consider that more of a dungeon crawl than a legacy game, but cer- but there's yes, definitely but there is card rippage. Oh, I there's am so there's all sorts of stuff there. I love to rip the cards now. Um, but Pandemic Legacy 
though it is not, you know, it, that's definitely a campaign driven game for sure. Because each, you know, each game you get Isn't another the second season coming. It's out real then? soon. Yeah, it's real soon. But that one you do definitely play through a a story, um, and it, the game definitely takes shape and, and evolves over time. Um, you, there's different characters, and those characters earn <laughs> earn skills and progress and gain new abilities and stuff like that for sure too. So does the game world. So I, I think that definitely fits. And then um, there's a couple others that don't really fit well into either of these other categories. So like Arkham Horror, the card game, definitely campaign driven because they have the, the different narrative scenarios that you can go through. Your deck evolves, so you're, you know, meaning your character evolves over time. Um, the Warhammer Quest adventure card game, another good one that kind of compresses everything into a very mm-hmm. short package um, over just a couple of missions. So that those are the type of games we're talking about. Those are probably um, the majority of the ones that we have played. So what's worked well for us in terms of these games? What hasn't worked well for us? I will tell you for sure with two players, any game that is like a one versus many style game has never, never worked well for us long term. No. And that would be that would be your descents, your imperial assaults, your level seven omega protocols. Like those are those are those type level of games. Level seven, we got our butts whooped that first game. What do you mean we got our butts? No, no, I I whooped your butt that first game. Like you survived, but just barely as you go through. I just don't. So one, the reason that those one versus many games work is because you have to have that DM player, the player who's playing the bad guy, essentially shaping the experience. And it's not as I can tell you from being the guy that usually plays that role. It's not as much fun shaping that experience for one other player as it would be for a group of players. Now, here's just an aside from this, Mm -hmm. um, because we were talking about catacombs. Well, catacombs, one of us has to be the quote-unquote dungeon master. So how is that different? Because you can play... the, The cool thing about catacombs is that it simulates an entire campaign in one gaming session. And that's why... Like we talked about the others not being a campaign game, but that's why the others works for us as well, because that is a that is a one off scenario where as the as the bad guy player, you can go like balls to the wall because you're trying to win because you're not going to feel bad if you win. That's why I was asking, because I'm saying, how is that different? So if you're if you have nothing to lose, then it's much better. It's not that you have nothing to lose, but it's a bummer like. With a game like Descent, as the DM, you almost kind of want the players to win in the end because it kind of sucks to go through like this 20, 25, 30 hour campaign and then for it to be kind of anticlimactic at the end if the players don't win. So you almost you almost want to shepherd them in that direction. But with Catacombs, it's two hours. I don't care. Like, I want to beat you. And the others is the same way. It's two hours. I want to beat you. So I don't feel the need to kind of to kind of like take my foot off the gas, like like adjust my speed based on what the game needs to be enjoyable for the other player, essentially, okay. if that if that makes sense. So I think that's why like one versus many, you put you put that in a in a like a like a three, four player group that meets regularly, that's where I think those games excel. I don't think they work very well at all for two players. And to that point, we've never had a game like Descent didn't work out for us. Imperial Assault didn't work out for us. Level 7 didn't work out for us. We've never had a game that does that one versus many that stuck with us. Now again, that might just be us. There might be other couples out there that can do those games and really enjoy them, but for us they definitely don't don't strike the niche. Uh, what was the one game I'm trying to think of? Level I'm trying I'm thinking level 7. There was another one we had mm. where we had like the player board and you had your cards laid out and then the things just were coming at you, coming at you, coming at you. I don't recall. You don't remember? I'm thinking. Well, you hold that thought while what? Ah, Zenishift. Oh, that's. Uh, I wouldn't. That's more of a deck building game. That's not really. I didn't like that. Yeah, I mean that doesn't really fall into this discussion at all. No, I'm just, I, am just, I'm thinking like I, I have all these things going through my head now that mm. I'm remembering because of thinking of other games. Now, what has worked conversely is the complete opposite of one versus many, which is co-op. Pretty much every campaign game that we 
have found great success with is like a cooperative game where the game has a kind of a pre-programmed AI that works against you. That's what Arcadia Quest does. Arcadia Quest does it great because the the AI rules are so simple that it makes it makes it easy to concentrate on the gameplay. Um, Gloomhaven has a little bit more. I don't want to say bookkeeping. There's a little bit more moving parts, but still streamlines things fairly well. I feel like. Um, and of course, Arkham Horror certainly has a brutal AI that can that can come and punch you in the face. But it's it's a lot, man. It's just been a lot more. It's a lot more fun for you and I. I feel, and you can chime in on this as well to go through these together and to kind of fight against yeah. I mean, the system. There's a lot of times where we like to like punch each other in the face when we play games. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as the the gameplay goes, with this kind of stuff. I would rather work together just because, like you said, it's not fun because I don't, like, you have played many games, like, even video games, I don't know, you know, but other types of games where Mm. you are more in tune with being able to be a dungeon master. I would probably suck at it if I tried because I've never really Mm. had experience with that kind of stuff until we started playing these type of games. Right. So... And having to be that that person all the time just can't be fun for you. It's not that it's not fun. It's just that it's I don't want to do it over a long right. ordeal is right. the only thing. And yeah, with the co-op and, and again, like Arcadia Quest doesn't even have the cooperative elements. That's just, you know, racing to complete the different quests and the different goals and stuff like that, which in our Beyond the Grave campaign, M has been waylaying me so far. Yeah. That has been fun. Um I think well, not for you. It's been fun for me. I think another thing too that has worked really well for us is that each scenario can't take a long time. I think even more there you than go. there's my game. I can't beat you at Crokinole. You can't beat me at Arcadia Quest. Well, so <laughs> one of the other things that killed Descent for us is it just took too long to play each quest. Yeah, and then also it just said each quest had like a second half. Of the quest. Right. So here you are playing for 90 minutes and it's like, oh, wait, here's the rest of it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, I, I feel like for us to be, for, for Em and I to be invested, that we'll keep getting the game back to the table. Like, two out, hours, two hours. Oh, not even. For me, like, it's like, like each scenario should take about an hour to 75 minutes. I'm saying, like, two hours is my max. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, later in the campaign, sure, longer scenario, that's fine. But I think in general, like, hour or so each is kind of the sweet spot. Because that'll that'll encourage us to get it back more often. Because if every since we like to play so many games, if every night that we play that game, that's the only game we play that night, then that's not as much fun for us. We like to do other stuff along with that as well. Yeah. And a, as any game like this to be interesting, you got to have new toys that you get. You got to get new fun skills. Oh um, my god, that's my favorite part with Arcadia Quest is mm-hmm. at the end where I get to buy new stuff. Right. Like, yes. Keeps you in, what keeps you invested? Like I said, it's 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 the the loot, like, the oh, carrot at the end I of the stick. This? Oh, look at this ba bow that is just like so much better than the one that I have. Yes, let's get that. Right, and and like with Arkham Horror, like I love being able to buy you know new cards to upgrade the stuff that's in your deck. That's always great. Um, with Pandemic, I really enjoyed getting to. Just open more cards and open more boxes and oh add God. more elements and stuff like that. I was so excited like when we got that. to open a box. We had to take turns who got to open the boxes with that one. Yeah, and then <laughs> we got to, well, and then we got to the point where we knew we weren't going to open the holy crap box. So I'm like, I got to see what's in it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, can yeah, we, we open we it? Did, we did open that before we finished, didn't we? We did because I'm like, I got to see what's in it because we're not going to need it. We're past I, where I we're going to need it. Yeah, so. I, think, I think we waited till it was statistically impossible for us to have to open it. Yeah, and then, and and so then we, we opened it. I'm like, can we was. open it, please, please, please? <laughs> But yes, and and like that—that's the kind of stuff that'll keep us engaged. Like I, I love wanting to play the game to see what the next like cool stuff that I get is going to be. That's that's always the fun part. Yeah, but next one in Arcadia Quest is the last one, isn't it? Yes, it is. But then we have dragons that we can do and stuff like that. It'd be good times. Be good times. So for us, um, and and we've talked about so just to reiterate the ones that have absolutely positively been the best experiences for us, um, Arcadia Quest. Probably number one, I'd say. Yep. Um, Gloomhaven so far early on has been great. Um, Pandemic Legacy was fantastic. Looking very forward to season two. And Arkham Horror has been 
also excellent so far, even though that game can be so maddeningly, maddeningly difficult. Yeah, because that first points. that first one, man, we got punched in the face. Yes, we did. Like bloody pulp, we were. But we started the, we started the Dunwich campaign in that, and I feel like we did fare better in our first uh, our first scenario. Yeah, we did in that one. So yeah, so for for us, even though pers- we murdered all those students. Yeah, for us for us personally, our take on two player: stay away from one versus many. Stick with stuff with co-op and with AIs and stuff like that. And I mm-hmm. think that generally works much better for two. Save save the one versus many for your big groups. But when it's couples, either work together. Or, Please get uh, Arcadia Quest. It's so much fun. I, I really do like <laughs> Arcadia Quest. It's Because it, like I said, it's, it's, it's so like, simple. If I had to pick one off the list out of all of these, mm-hmm. I would tell people to go out and get Arcadia Quest. If, if I had to pick one... Just because that's the one I've had the most fun playing with you. I like Arcadia Quest, but it's also like if you don't like chucking dice, that's essentially what the game is. Like it's a dice chucker. Um, I think that Gloomhaven's a better game. Um, so I think that might be if I if I can only recommend one, that might be the one that I recommend personally. Um, so I I think that's where I'm at with that. Okay. So. So that was a look at campaign. Well, look, we didn't get married because we're exactly the same. Oh, I know. Opposite oh, we, oh, we're going to play both. So it's going to be it's going to be good. They're not really that opposite of a game. Um, so, yeah, so that was that was campaign style games with two. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. If there's anything that uh, that you enjoy playing that has campaign in it, let us know, uh, especially especially if you have played it and it worked well. Uh, with two players certainly would like to know about that so and that's gonna be it for the show so again thank you for thank you for listening uh follow us at tabletop for two and make sure uh that you're also listening to the other awesome shows in the tnp studios network including the nerdpocalypse dense pixels black on black cinema and mouthful of toast and if you haven't checked out the premium membership do that as well uh you can do that at the nerdpocalypse.com slash premium five bucks a month fifty dollars a year gets you access to another 200 hours of uh of really cool content from us so that is it uh thank you guys very much for listening and we will talk to you next episode bye